Today, on the Voices of Experience podcast, how critical is integrating artificial intelligence into your business? If a new company isn't utilizing AI to gain acceleration, they will probably not win in their space. That's Stephen Newton, a Daniels alumnus and the boss at tech investment firm Occipital Ventures. AI is clearly an important element in his business strategy, but we learned that it also has a role in Newton's personal life too. And so we went back to my house and we sat down and I said, hey, do you wanna see my AI collection? Stay tuned for that story's payoff later in the episode. I promise it's worth it. But first, Newton joined the show to share the lessons he learned in previous stops in his career. Most notably, as head of trust in science at Amazon's Alexa, and director of new legal obligations at Facebook. We also talked about what makes a visionary leader and why you should rock the boat at your job. Steven, welcome to the show. Thank you, happy to be here. Uh, I wanna start with your career and, and two interesting stops that you were recently at. So in that career, you've worked at two of the 10 most valuable companies in the world, Meta, formerly Facebook, and Amazon, in roles varying from compliance manager for Kindle, head of trust in science for Alexa, and director of new legal obligations at Meta. How do you find your way and make an impact at huge companies like that? It's a great question. Um, well, when I started at Amazon, it wasn't one of the top companies in the world. It was, it was, it was big, but it wasn't nearly what it is today. It grew, I think, uh, by market cap from 50 billion to 500 billion while I was there. Um, so opportunities come up. I mean, in a company that's growing that quickly, there are endless problems to solve. Um, and if you are good at finding problems that can accelerate the company, solving them in elegant ways, um, and building automation to sort of continue that process going, um, and in a way that can scale, you can really sort of make your mark. Um, so I wouldn't say that um, I did anything special. I think I was lucky that I ended up at this company who was going through this explosive growth period and had a bunch of really crazy challenges that it needed to figure out how to solve. Meta was the opposite. Um, in fact, it wasn't called Meta when I was there. It was called Facebook. Right. It transitioned while I was there to mm -hmm. Meta. Um, and they were trying to reinvent themselves after you know, a few few issues, public issues that everyone read about. Um, and what was once a very beloved company had to sort of reimagine itself to to get trust back in the community. And and it was a lot different. Um, it was, it's still a growing company. It's still a big explosive tech company, but users of the Facebook app were declining, which, you know, that hadn't happened before. Yeah. Um, so totally different experiences, um, different life cycles of the businesses, but both extremely exciting, interesting opportunities. Great. You mentioned the pace uh, of how quickly things move at those companies. How do you keep up? Um, well, uh, when I left Amazon after 10-ish years, including um, some consulting work on the front end, um, I, I equated my time at Amazon to dog years. <laughs> so it wasn't 10 years, it was like 70 years. It, um, it really moves very fast. Um, but for someone like me, that's exciting. I, yeah. I, like, I like the speed, I like the pace 
It provides tons of challenges, tons of opportunities. Um, there were days, you know, you would be in the office for a long time, but it forced you to think about problems in very different ways. For instance, you know, if you're growing at 10% a year, that's pretty manageable, right? Mm-hmm. You, you hire, you, you build systems, you, you can manage 10% growth. But when, you're, when your business is growing at 1,000% a year, you can't just throw people at it. It, it will break. And so it forces you to think about problems from a tech perspective, from, from this crazy growth perspective, and you utilize things you would never think about. Um, huge, you build systems. You don't, you don't buy systems off the shelf. You build something special that will work for this growth, for this business. Um, and then you turn it into a product. It's a flywheel effect. You build a system to sustain your growth and, and manage a business, and then you can sell it to another company outside the company. And so you get two for one. Yeah. Um, and I don't know if there are very many companies out there that can do it like Amazon does. Yeah. I also mentioned in my intro there uh, your titles. And I think the one that uh, I liked particularly uh, the most was the head of trust, head of trust and science for Alexa. Um, with so many eyes on these large technology companies, how did you ensure your divisions? Uh, the things that you managed remained in compliance and out of the news? The way to do it is to think about the product from the customer's perspective. What experience do they expect? And the goal is to not give them something they don't expect. Mm-hmm. And it's it's really hard to do that. Um, Alexa is a complex business. It's AI. Um, you often get you know, responses or um, interactions with the device that you don't expect, whether it's because of the the product itself that Amazon controls on its side, or if it's your internet being laggy that day, mm-hmm. or if someone's talking in the background, or if you know the phone rings while you're trying to say command. We we've all had these experiences, so you know customers can be pretty forgiving on those types of things, but they're not forgiving if the product simply does something unexpected, especially if it's a bad experience. Mm-hmm. So in order to create good experiences, you I mean, that's the core, the core idea. So you get really good at the things that people use it the most for. And then you sort of work around the edges and, and get the long tail of all the other experiences that people are using. Um, but the, the hardest challenge with Alexa is that we didn't control the hardware on every product. So they're the Amazon branded products. So those are the Echo devices. Yep. And then there's Bose and Sonos and right. you know a myriad of other products. Sure. And you don't control the hardware on those products. So, you know, while Sonos might use a very sophisticated mic setup that's you know really captures your voice well, and therefore you, the Alexa toolkit on the backside can understand what you're saying and process it. Mm-hmm. Some of the products are. They're budget products, and they, they have a two-mic array instead of a three- or four-mic array, and it doesn't pick up your voice as well, and now you get a bad experience. So how do we control sort of the software product that we control and then the hardware products that exist in the marketplace and, and creating a balance so that you can help your product proliferate without giving it those you know hindrances where people will be less likely to keep enjoying the product is, is the hard part. Mm-hmm. And how does the interplay of trust and science work together? <laughs> so science is just a fancy name for business intelligence. Yep. And trust is a fancy name for um, not harming people, I would say. Got it. Um, so what we did is we created these really 
um, sophisticated business intelligence toolkits to analyze when products were doing things that they shouldn't. Um, and it's not always a it's not always a harmful impact. It's just mm-hmm. we see delay. We see um, an experience that we wouldn't expect or you know, sometimes we'll pull the, the user and say, is this what you expected? And they'll say no. So we'll get signal that that's something we should look at. Mm-hmm. For Alexa, because it's so personal and intimate with voice and microphones in your home, mm-hmm. you can't mess it up. We'll come back to Meta uh, and Amazon and Alexa and, and those things in a little bit. Um, but I want to talk about the next part of your career. Uh, so after your time in the technology space, you transition to the other side of the table as an investor. How different is it to be the one writing the checks? I would say that I learned a lot at Amazon and a lot at Meta. Amazon kind of runs like a bunch of mini startups. Mm. Every every business in Amazon is compartmentalized to a degree, and they run their own P&L, and the businesses can be relatively small. Meta, on the other hand, is the opposite. It's It's massive, and you know, it spins off 30% profit a year. And only sort of now and while I was there were they sort of thinking differently about expense. Um, but when you work with a startup, money is everything, right? It's the lifeline. It's, it's without money, there's no runway. Um, you can't make it to a mature product or a mature business. And teaching young entrepreneurs how to manage the cash flow is, is really hard. Because a lot of a lot of people who start businesses have great ideas, but they're not necessarily great business people. Right. Um, they're engineers. They're you know they they understand a space. They're a subject matter expert in a particular area, but they've never managed a PNL. Um, and so teaching them sort of the value of every dollar and and teaching them how to spend it wisely so they get that runway um, can be can be hard. And speaking of leadership, you worked for years under Jeff Bezos and Mark Zuckerberg. I think it's probably fair to call them both visionaries, right? Uh, Did experiences under those leaders motivate Occipital Ventures' tagline of investing in the visionary? Absolutely. Um, You know, I I feel like every visionary um, is initially thought of as sort of a lunatic. (laughs) And maybe, maybe they are. Honestly, some of the things that um, these these businesses are doing are are science fiction to a pretty wild degree. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's definitely true. I would say though that they weren't necessarily my inspiration for the tagline. Um, it goes back to what I was saying earlier. I think the visionaries I'm looking for are people who have deep, deep subject matter expertise in a particular area. And so that actually, ironically, wasn't Mark Zuckerberg or mm-hmm. Jeff Bezos. They, they sort of saw an opportunity in the business place and said, oh, I can build something here. They didn't necessarily have experience selling books online or social media, which didn't you know, really exist outside of my space at the time. Mm-hmm. The opposite is really true for what we look for. We're looking for people who are, you know, they've been in this particular niche business for 30 years, and it's, it's never really had... an entrepreneurial spirit, a tech backbone. And now they can come in and say, hey, we can optimize this. We can use technology to accelerate this industry in a way that it's never been done before. And and so maybe visionary isn't the right word. It's deep subject matter experts, kind of like 
old school people in the business who who see a better way to do it. I'm going to keep using the term visionary because I, I like <laughs> it for the purpose of this. But uh, you mentioned a few things there, but what attributes uh, in your mind define someone who, who you'd call a visionary? So for me, it's curiosity. Um, I think the hardest part for... Um, business people who have been doing what they've been doing for a really long time is thinking differently than what's worked for them in the past. And, and that's why you see legacy businesses fall off, right? They, they, they get into a mode of doing business and they continue doing it as long as possible and they have trouble inventing new ways to do it. Um, so when I see somebody who has deep subject matter expertise but is also curious about things that are coming up, I get really excited. And are people born a visionary or can you grow into one? I will say, I don't know the answer to that, to be honest. I think everyone's different. I think some people can and some people can't. Um, but what I will say is that when you show somebody a, a piece of technology for the first time, you can tell. You can tell if their eyes light up and they start to connect the dots and say, oh my gosh, like if this technology were applied to this problem or that problem or whatever they're an expert in, um, then you know if they have that capability. Or some people say, I don't get it, or that's, that's interesting. But they don't, they don't start to think about it from their worldview. Um, and AI, I think AI is a good example of that. When you talk to people about AI, it seems far-fetched. It seems sci-fi. But when you show somebody the power of AI in real time, it's a pretty transformative thing. And people will all of a sudden start to think about the problems that they work on in their business or their life through the lens of this new tool and and you can see this change happen in them yeah i want to skip ahead here because you mentioned ai and i know that's something that's very important to you um when you're looking at investing in companies i think i'm setting this up correctly but what are the key indicators you're looking for in an investable company um as far as ai goes ai yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um and I think it's hard because not everyone has this exposure to AI yet, but it's it's starting to proliferate in a way as a consumer product that everyone can get their eyes on it and understand the impact that it has. If a new company isn't utilizing AI to gain acceleration, they will probably not win in their space. Mm -hmm. If a company has a plan to use AI or hasn't thought about AI yet, I would probably not invest in the company because it needs to be part of the strategy from the beginning, because otherwise the solution is decision tree algorithms or hiring people, which is not efficient and cash flow is king, particularly in a resource constrained environment like we're in today. And uh, AI is clearly very important to you and a key pillar of your own interest, so much so that you used it as a pickup line for your wife. Is that right? <laughs> I wouldn't say a pickup line. I would say I'm just a nerd, and I was really excited to share share AI with her. Um, tell her yeah, tell our listeners that story. So the first date my wife and I went on, uh, we were introduced by a very good friend at Microsoft, and um, he, he thought we would be a good match. And um, we met. We, we went on a date. Before we knew it, the, the waiter was asking us to leave because they wanted to go home. <laughs> Um, and so we went back to my house and we sat down and I said, Hey, do you want to see my AI collection? Naturally. 
<laughs> Naturally for me. Uh, I think most people on Earth would uh, flee for the hills, but fortunately <laughs> she stuck around. So match made in heaven, all, all <laughs> centered around AI. Oh, so I know what a record collection or a book collection might look like. What is an AI collection? It's a book collection. Okay. <laughs> right. There's some pretty exciting authors out there writing some good stuff. But, you know, the other part of that story is <laughs> I sat her down and um, I said, hey, we should watch this movie. You'll love it. And it's, I don't know if you've heard of Ex Machina. Yeah. But it's its about the most boring date movie you could possibly <laughs> imagine. It's, uh, But it's, I love it. It's its a great AI movie. And so we watched about half of it before she had had enough. And I, so I took her home and, and she still, you know, went on a second date with me. So <laughs> it worked out. But I wouldn't uh, suggest this for anyone looking to uh, woo a nice lady. The president recently released an executive order on safe, secure, and trustworthy artificial intelligence, uh, laying out a few critical standards for safety moving forward. How should companies ensure that AI is used for good? I, I don't think any company builds, builds products thinking we're going to use this for evil. Um, I think the intent is always good, and I think, I think Facebook is probably the prime example of this. Um, Facebook was designed and beloved for years. Um, and I think people forget that time, honestly, but it was exciting. You know, when you met somebody and you added them on Facebook and you saw how many mutual connections you had, it was this, it was this really interesting, like new thing. Um, it wasn't until, you know, a decade or so had passed that people started to recognize some of the harms that it was causing and some of the damage it was doing, um, to society and politics and, um, just lots of abuse and, and things like that. So I always encourage business leaders and technologists to try to look around corners to say, okay, how, how can we predict what downside impacts this product may have and how can we control for the, the harm it may cause? I think it's impossible to prevent all harm. I think, I think you can do your best to get to 99.9% or better, and I think that should be the goal, but you should always be trying to predict bad outcomes of your products and what what they may cause. So it's important to look at that net positive benefit of, of AI. I think so, I mean, but again, right, like if it's if it's still causing lots of harm and deaths, we should always work to fix that, but I, I don't think we should throw a, a, a tool like this out if it does cause some harm. I think the goal is to always reduce harm to zero, mm -hmm. but we need to understand that there's a there's a maturation process process to get there. Great. Um, for aspiring business leaders, maybe current students or recent graduates looking to uh, get a leg up as it comes to AI, how do you recommend they start? Where should they look? What what should they know? Well. When I was at Daniels, Daniels sort of prided itself on saying that every student that comes through Daniels knows Excel. Well, I think every student that gets through Daniels should know AI. And I, I don't mean AI in a, from a coding perspective, from a deep technological perspective, but at least know how to use it to solve problems um, or accelerate yourself. Um, I think AI is useful for a ton of stuff, but one of the things that it's most useful for is for saving time. And so as a business leader, you can do more and be more efficient if you know how to use AI to get you there. 
And does that manifest itself in prompting AI, you know, knowing the right questions to ask? How does that look like on a practical sense? Yeah, in large part, it's it's like any algorithm, garbage in and garbage out. So knowing how, what to ask, how to ask it to get to the right outcome is, is key. Um, but more importantly, from a business perspective, if you're a business leader, you, you see a problem in the business space and you can think, okay, I can throw people at this problem, I can throw process at this problem, or I can use an elegant AI solution to you know, do repetitive work in a way that doesn't require a ton of investment on people or systems. Uh, you mentioned your time at Daniels, and I want to talk about that. You graduated with an accounting and finance degree in what you called a speed run, completing the <laughs> degree in, in two years rather than four. Uh, in that short time, how did the college's ethics-based education impact your own career aspirations? It impacted my career far more than I would have expected. I had no intention of being in compliance. I had no intention of doing ethics as a job. Frankly, like most people don't understand that it is part of the business world in a very formal sense. Um, but it worked out that way because Daniel's taught me to think a little bit differently about business problems. I think that when most people think about business ethics, they think there's this good and evil paradigm. Everything is black and white, but that's simply not the case. You know, if you're sitting in a, in a business room and there's really smart people around you and somebody suggests, hey, we should sacrifice, you know, customer safety for profits. That's an easy, that's an easy problem to solve, but it's never like that. Um, for instance, you know, when you're at Meta and they're talking about hate speech or censor censorship, it's like from a business perspective, censoring people isn't good, right? People don't like when they can't express their opinion. You lose customers. But from a business perspective, how do you think about the long-term impact of the business if, if you allow people to say things that um, maybe drive other people away? So it's, it's very hard. Um, it's not black and white. And in, in my experience, Daniels really gave me a leg up on thinking about these problems differently, um, as well as Notre Dame. Notre Dame did the same thing. But um, I think the biggest challenge is speaking out. When you're in a room of really smart people, particularly people who may be more senior than you, and they have an opinion, it's really hard to say, I don't agree. Because your, your career is on the line, right? You're trying to get ahead. You're tr you, it's hard to make waves. But in some cases, we need to do that. And I think, I hope, students from Daniels take their ethics education and they go out there and do that. And they rock the boat and they challenge um, things that they don't think are right. So I want to get to our last question here, one that we ask all of our guests. As a voice of experience, what is one thing you'd like to share with our listeners? I think it's most important to figure out how to solve complex problems in elegant ways. And if you can figure out ways to do that in really whatever business you're in or relationships, um, you can really succeed. I think the challenge is when people get into linear thinking and they can't escape what has worked or what they're used to doing, that they get stuck. But I think there's this endless opportunity for growth, and I think AI is a great example of that, um, where if you can keep learning and keep trying new ways of solving problems, you can you can accelerate your career and you can go as far as you want. You can build the next you know satellite cluster colony on Mars, but 
you have to be willing to really think outside the box. Great. Thank you, Stephen. We really appreciate it. Absolutely. Thank you. If you want to see what's in Stephen's AI book collection, be sure to head to our show notes. And if you're looking for ways to become a little more fluent in AI, we'll link to some upcoming workshops from Entrepreneurship at DU. We'll also have a bonus question there for Stephen on if he'd rather invest in a great idea or a great leader. You can find those show notes and past episodes at daniels.du.edu slash voe podcast. The VOE Podcast is an extension of Voices of Experience, the signature speaker series at the Daniels College of Business, sponsored by U.S. Bank. Sophia Holt is our sound engineer. Joshua Metzl wrote our theme. I'm Nick Greenhelge, and we'll talk again soon.